Hi, this is Carrie here at Treatment Unicorn. Uh, this is the first episode of a Subtime podcast um, where you'll hear me rabbiting on about all things that come to my mind as a massage therapist and wellness practitioner mentor. So this evening I was thinking about um, allowing, allowing other people's point of view and in particular allowing um, the point of view of our clients. Now I've got no no answer to the questions that I'm posing but I'm interested in exploring it anyway. So what I was wondering about was as wellness practitioners when we work in a connected and intuitive way when we view the body holistically and as therapists we honour its connections between the mind and the body and the spirit. What do we do with those clients that ask us to inverted commas to fix them? Those ones that continuously throw us curveballs when we see them for appointments. When we're secure in our belief that we're always looking for the underlying causes that um, our, our, our clients have, but they're not necessarily connected to the symptoms. So we could be looking at shoulder pain, but then we know that there's going to be some other things going on there, that the shoulder pain may be connected into a neck issue or with the fact that they spend a lot of time typing or writing so their posture is going to be part of it when we know that they're very tense or very anxious people when we know that there are those kind of elements of our clients experience that are affecting their pain and their discomfort how do we broach those conversations of personal personal responsibility with those clients especially the ones that don't want to own their pain and when we work with those symptomatic people, you know, the ones where their pain changes, it travels, it mutates and it spirals through the body. We all have those clients who offer a new and exciting kind of manner of feeling discomfort from one appointment to the next. And each time we see them, we're like, "Ooh, I wonder what's going to come up here. How do we offer solace and guidance for those clients without ourselves feeling the frustration? As though maybe that we're failing them in some way. What are the tools we need to possess as therapists that allow us to see, feel and be comfortable with our clients' point of view? Especially when we feel that sometimes we're banging up against a brick wall, that there is an obviousness that's being missed. Well, there's compassion, of course, and there's empathy. That comes in very handy, too. I would say that for a vast percentage of therapists, it's been the personal experience of a life-altering pain that's ingrained our passion more deeply. It's made us care more about the clients we see. Which one of us therapists has not experienced, either in ourselves or in a close family member, the tears, the disappointment, the fear or anger that accompanies the dysfunction of a body when things fall apart physically? We know how that feels. These are the feels that do bring us closer to the work that we do. These are the feels that we felt in ourselves, which really give us a shit about helping others that bring us to that point where we really, really fucking care. And these are the times that all that learning that we've taken, all those classes that we've sat through, it brings all that theoretical knowledge into the real. But there's one thing when it's happening to yourself or to someone close, where there's love and familial connection there. And that creates a subjective viewpoint. When we work with a member of the public, unless we are empaths with a capital E, then there is always an objective slant to those interactions. When we step back 
we as therapists, we try to remove our ego. We try to see the client's symptoms with a dispassionate eye. It's not that we don't care, but it's important not to thrust our opinion first. I always think that as a therapist, when we listen, that's when we feel. As the story of our client comes forth, and sometimes this can be in as much of what is unsaid as what is said, we start to piece together the backstory of their pain, of their discomfort. We grow to have a filtered understanding of their family life, of their relationship to work, to food, to exercise, to external expectations. We always have a filter though, and we have to choose to stay aware of that. What we see, what we hear, what we learn is very often through the veil of our own perceptions and our own experience. When we're faced with our clients' unexplained symptoms, those that have grumbled away for years, that have no suitable underlying cause or something written in stone, when we have those moments, it can be really tempting to allocate our own fitting reasons. We might say, oh, well, it's an anxious client, or they're obviously unhappy with their relationships with close family members. We might think that they're depressed by work or by life. We may wish that they stop depersonalising their body. We've all seen clients that fall into the habit of referring to parts of their body that pain them in such a dispossessed manner. We've seen it when they say, oh, that arm, that arm's playing me up again. And you think, really, that arm is a part of you. When pain is devastating, sometimes it's mentally removing our attention from it by dispossessing it. That's the only way that keeps us going. When we reach out for help, when we're looking for someone to make it feel better, when we're looking for someone to fix us, it's because that we feel within ourselves we no longer have the tools to be able to do that, that we've already tried and we've tried and we've tried. Now, I would say it's not the job of the therapist to try and fix anyone, but it is our job to care, to do our best and to cause no further harm. I think that when we cheerlead and when we nurture nurturing behaviours in those that we're lucky enough to treat, that things start to shift. If we can soothe and smooth, if we can offer insight and stay keenly connected to our own intuition whilst we work, we offer a safe landing place. If we can trust our intuition to zig in our techniques and treatments when we've been taught to zag, to trust with faith our gut that even though, for example, we might be working on a shoulder issue, but we feel compared to, compelled to work on their thigh or on their calf, then we're capable of removing ourselves from that need to solve what's wrong, to solve what's wrong with the way the client feels. And at the same time, I think that there is a duty of care to dialogue with our clients, to lovingly, gently challenge their limiting beliefs when we can see that there are loops of thought that keep tripping them up. But at the same time, there is stealth invested in this. We have to choose to wait until the client opens that door to change. There's a very visceral feel that happens when that time is right to pose those questions. Those questions that give the recipient something to mull over rather than to rile them. When that question is the right question, you feel it permeate through the energy of the room. There's a shift and a settling. 
when you stay centered, you sense that difference. It's palpable. The most potent of transformation can take place when the body receiving the treatment is truly ready to receive. And with the tactic of stealth, we do not force our opinion or try to crowbar change into a body. Instead, we work with the nervous system and all those other bodily systems so their point of view is honoured. If you have any of your thoughts about these these um, things I've been talking about, if you'd like to share with me how you approach those curveball clients, I would love to know. Until the next episode, I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye from now.